Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Good afternoon, everybody. I want to welcome all of you to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and I have with me a man after my own heart, a man that uh, loves the data, loves the numbers, believes that wins and losses don't happen by happenstance. They are strategic and they are forced and they are planned. And uh, his name is Craig O'Shaughnessy. And if you don't know him, that man that just made history with his 20th Grand Slam knows him real well. And uh, Craig had a, a very big part in that success um, as well as a bunch of others. So Craig, welcome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, it's a pleasure to chat with you. And um, we've already chatted about that wonderful painting that you have right behind you. Arthur's an amazing man. So good to be here with, with you today and with Arthur in spirit. You know, it's funny. You showed me that picture of Arthur Ashe and everybody has like some legendary figure that they met by accident or was yeah. a ball kid. Who inspired you to start playing tennis? Um, when I first got involved with tennis, I, as a young kid, I played Australian rules football that I was all in, you know, running around and in the cold and in the wet and got a footy and, and all my teammates, that was my sport until I was 11. And there was three courts in our neighborhood in, in a, in an intersection, in a triangle. And once a year, there'd be a car crash on a corner and they, you know, a car would kind of come and dent the fence a little bit and, um, it, it, those courts, I went down there when I was 11 and I found an old wooden racket in the back of my wardrobe in my room. I'm like, what is this doing back here? It's got broken strings. It's, but I found it. I started hitting against the wall and I went down to the courts and, and there was an older gentleman in his 70s, George Schumach, who coached everybody in town for 50 years. And I thought, you know, I'd been hitting against the wall and I thought, you know, I'm not bad. I'm pretty good. I'm going to go down there. And he fed me some balls. And, you know, the ball's coming from the other side of the court. And, you know, I've been, I, you know, I'm in my driveway up against the wall. So the distance was weird. And I'm flailing away at these forehands and backhands. And I could see he's disappointed. He goes, Craig, come over to the fence and hit a few serves into the fence. And I hit a few serves. He's like, okay, come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. So I got hooked. I got hooked. And, and George was a big part, but it was at the time that McEnroe and Borg were, um, were really, you know, their rivalry was bubbling. And, you know, I would come home from school at 4.30 and I'd do my work and my homework and I'd go to bed at eight and I'd wake up at midnight and I'd lay in bed and watch Borg and McEnroe and Connors and, and but it was McEnroe. For me back then, um, you know, everything he did, I had a scrapbook, every article, I would cut out of the newspaper and put in my scrapbook. Um, I copied everything he did. Unfortunately, I copied the bad behavior as well. I copied that. Um, you know, they had to put a sign up at where I had a, 
Um, George's grandson, Nick Schumach, was my rival and we would go at it, but some of the behavior was terrible. It was really bad. Um, but you know, the lefty motion, the going to the net, I was trying to volley like him, it didn't work. I tried to serve like him, it didn't work. But you know, the spirit that he had and, and the energy of Borg and McEnroe um, really ignited my early career and got, you know, it, it just got me so juiced for tennis. And I was a kid that would play every day, play every day, loved it. You know, it's funny, you talk about igniting your spirit. And I think that, you know, on the women's side, we've got a bunch of ladies that sort of ignite the spirit on the women's side. But here in America, there's not like that American player right now that sort of ignites your spirit. You know, every now and every now and then we get a glimpse from TFO, right? A glimpse of passion. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I always say that one of the biggest challenges for American tennis is finding that personality. Yeah. Right? And being free. Even, even Nick Kyrgios, right? The Aussie. Mm. No matter what he does on the court, his spirit is igniting mm. junior tennis in Australia. And I find that sometimes we've got to drop the gentleman, sort of the, the gentleman's game kind of thing in order to grow it. Not be a bad boy or be a jerk but allow somebody to be passionate and to be attached to the result to the point where they chuck a racket. You know, mm -hmm. last week I was working for Tennis Channel. I was, you know, doing some commentating. And one of the stories we talked about was how Novak threw a racket in the stands. I'm like, when you want to win, that's and you don't win, that's what you do. You break a racket, you know what I mean? Even as a coach, there's been times where we lost a match we should have won, and I want to take every racket out the bag and start smashing them. And I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, obviously you work with, with you know, Novak, um, which, you know, became sort of your claim to fame. But tell us about like that passion that you experienced with him. Yeah, well, with Novak, you know, early on, um, when I first started, it was 2017. And the first time I, I the relationship started through Marian Vida. And I, I was connected with Murray and Vida. Uh, we met in Monte Carlo and, you know, I'm sitting with my laptop and, you know, Murray, nice to meet you. And I'm like, this is what I do. And I showed him the analytics. I showed him the video. I showed him how I break down matches. And I'm like, I can do this for you guys. Um, there's no more guessing. If, you know, if, you, if Novak plays a match, I've got every angle covered. And most importantly, they were really interested in is, can you give us information about our upcoming opponents? Can you do previews? So that relationship built over the rest of the year. And in December, we said, let's go. So the first time we sat down together was in Melbourne in the, the player restaurant at Melbourne Park. And there's Novak here and, and Marion here and a little small talk. And I said, Novak, how can I best help you? And he goes, Craig, there's three ways that I'd love for you to help me. And I'm like, I'm all ears, I'm all ears. <laughs> So he goes, he goes, the first thing is I do a lot of things on the court that I think are right, but I bet not all of them are. I bet there's some things on the court that I can improve upon. I bet there's some, some things out there and some patterns of play and whether it's a forehand or a backhand, you know, that I, I know. He goes, I just know there's things that I can do better. So I would like for you to evaluate my game and report to me and tell me, these areas are going great, do more of them. And these other areas we, we need to change. And to Novak's credit, you know, one of the things that 
I discovered is that, you know, your, your, his backhand is amazing, but in the ad court, the runaround forehand is better. And I had the statistical evidence. Um, I had the videos to show him and he just, there's no arguing. There's no, there's no like, well, I think I can do it. There's like, Craig, I'm all in. You've, you've, you've presented it correctly. Um, I, I can't argue with this. I am going, you know, the ABCD across the back of the court, that C area, the more I hit forehands there, the more I win. Absolutely. Um, so that was number one. So, you know, an inquiring mind. The first thing is like, I need to get better. Right. And, you know, which is, you know, the guy's already won 11 slams. He's, you know, he was pretty good pre-17. You know, 2015, he's 82 and 6. 2011 was amazing. But the first thing is like, I want to get better. The second thing he said, I, I want a game plan on every opponent. I don't want any surprises. Um, there's guys that maybe get hot and I don't know why. There's guys that aren't playing great and, and I'm not going to know why. And Marion doesn't have the time to research all that. We want you to research that. And when I step on the court, I want to have seen a couple of videos and I want to see the analytics and I want to see the break points and put that together for me. And, you know, over the next couple of months, we'll, we'll fine tune that and we'll get it to exactly how we want. But I want a game plan from you every single time I step on the court. I'm like, that will happen. And it happened every match for three years. And lastly, he goes, we have these couple of guys that are a little bit more interesting to me than the others, you know, that are, that are up around that I'm going to battle for the big titles. Can we spend more time on them? Um, and, and really make sure we've got those guys nailed. And I'm like, absolutely. We, we, will know, we will know when they wake up for, you know, and for breakfast. We'll know everything about them. So, you know, that, that level of professionalism uh, was always there. And, um, you know, he, he's one of the things that is a backstage element that, that people will not know about Novak is he's, when we sit down to go through and understand a match, if I'm doing seven game plans, every one of them is different because we are putting the opponent first. We are saying this guy is weak in A. So Novak is going to morph and modify his, his game style into that area of the court. This other guy doesn't like it out wide to the backhand. This other guy, is, it's amazing, but the third time he hits a backhand, he can hardly hit one in the court. So each time it's different. And so, you know, when, when I was thinking and telling him, um, you know, it's going to be very difficult for opponents to game plan against you because you're always modifying what you do and putting the opponent first. And so many other players are just, it's all about me and it's all about what I want to do. And he is not that way at all. You know, it's funny when I got, so, you know, I obviously coached a young player coming up. And then when I got my first, you know, quote unquote, big job, I put together a PowerPoint presentation and it was just like you said, it was video, it was stills, it was angles, it was degrees, it was patterns. And I went through the PowerPoint presentation and in front of the player and their parent. And the player says to me, this is stupid. You shouldn't have to write down what, what I need to do. You should just know it. And it was like, I do know it, but you don't know it. So this is for you. Yeah. And not for me. Yeah. And in the next six months, that player would go on who I went, went, went on to won one title in our whole professional career, went on to win three titles in four months. And right. it was because of what you said. It was like this. There is no play your game. Right. Mm -hmm. Because playing your game makes you predictable. Mm -hmm. 
it is about playing to beat your opponent specifically. Exactly. And, you know, I sit around, you know, sometimes, you know, obviously, you know, we're at, we're at the tournaments, players go to bed, coaches at the bar. And I hear some of the coaches, I'm like, that can't be more wrong. Focus yeah. on yourself, play your side of the court, right. do what you do best. I was like, oh, that's not going to work. You know what I mean? And, you know, at times I felt like I was alone in feeling that Mm -hmm. you got to put your opponent first. Mm -hmm. And at times I felt like the player struggled to change game plans every other day. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But it's interesting to hear someone else say, oh, no, you definitely got to reverse engineer your game plan. Mm -hmm. Right. And become harder to play. I, I want that just a very quick story um, th- that provides another interesting layer to this is that in 1995, um, I, I I graduated college in 91. I go back to Australia I, um, uh, in 95. And, you know, I've, I'm a coach, but I've never coached professionally at any level, not a future, not a challenger, not, not anything, nothing. And there was a girl from Madagascar, Dali, Randry, and Teffy comes to my town. She played a 20, 325s, won one match. Um, there's a t- my town's Aubrey. It used to be a really big tournament prior to the Australian Open when it was on grass. But anyway, so they come, the, the girls, you know, play the 325s. Then they come to Aubrey. Dali's 260 in the world. She's just in qualifying. Um, she's got a Swiss manager with her. You know, she does I said, I'll hit with the girls when they come in. I don't tell, even tell them I'm a coach. I go, I'll hit with you, I'll warm you up. So we're warming up and, you know, come on, you'd know this as well as I do. She's, she's, she's hitting at the net, she's hitting volleys and she's hitting a two-handed backhand volley. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, well, I, you know, we're on grass, we're in Australia, you know, we just don't do that. But, <laughs> but to change a two-handed backhand volley to a one-handed backhand volley is weeks, months, weeks and months. But I just go up to her and I go, listen, if you move your other hand up here, it, it's gonna it's gonna support it better. It's you, you know and and straighten this. It's just it's just a better deal. And I'm like, let me feed you a couple. And she just goes up, bangs. She's like, oh, that's better. And I'm like, how is this possible? Right. But she nailed it. She just nailed it. Uh-huh. So anyway, we start practicing. She learns I'm a coach. I, I watch her. She wins the tournament. She wins it. it she's got confidence. So the, the manager says, we want you to go to Melbourne. And I'm like, listen, I. The Australian Open. I, I I don't know any girls. I don't know. I don't. I don't know anyone. I don't right. know anyone. I'm they're like you're coming. How much do you want? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> how much you got? Right, um, right. So, <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I so I said five hundred bucks for the week. Five hundred. You know. I'm like, I don't know. So I go down there to Melbourne. Five hundred bucks. Um, nineteen ninety five. And 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 I, I I walk out to the practice court and it's rain and so all every it's four ladies on a court. Um, you know, and, and we're playing some girl that's six foot three from the Netherlands, hits the ball, okay, so it's okay, but the, the, the backswing on the forehand is so big and open. So I say, Dale, you get, you're just going to hit every ball the forehand here. Um, the next girl, she wins that round. She wins the next round. She, she gets a really tough third round. She's in the main draw. 17 years old, Madagascar, Sports Illustrated is interviewing her. They're interviewing me. Right. Um, and so she's got Florencia Labat in the first round, who's from Argentina, 30 in the world. Florencia's a left-hander, but only slices a backhand. 
So I, I look at her and I'm like, she, and again, Dally's just come off grass. So I said, Dally, you can't slice deep it, well, all the time. One's going to go short. So we had, we had a rule of three. I said, hit three balls to a backhand. One of them will be short. As soon as you get the short ball, whether it's the first, second or third, you immediately approach to the backhand because you can't slice and hit passing shots. Right. Can't pass you with a slice. Can't pass. No she chance. Wins, she wins three and five. She follows it to a T. Wins three and five. Then she's got Patricia Tarabini in the second round, who's got one of the world's greatest one-handed backhands in, in women's tennis, but not a good forehand. Tarabini beaten Pratt, Nicole Pratt, who's now the head of women's tennis for Tennis Australia. She beat her 0-0 in the first round. I'm going to call, do we have a chance? And she's like, I probably hit too many balls to a backhand. <laughs> so I go, Dally, here's the, here's the game plan. I don't care if she's standing in the alley. You hit it outside the alley, make her hit a forehand. Make her hit a forehand. She beats a two and one. She's in the third round. She loses to Mary Pierce three and three. I think it was three and three. Nobody for the tournament got more than six games off Mary. No one got more than six. She led three, one in the second. And the, my entire experience, and, and this is at a time, Kamal, when I went moved back to Australia in 95, and the chatter in Tennis Australia, the chatter at the Australian Institute of Sport, the, the chatter just within regional Australian coaching was focus on yourself. Mm-hmm. It's all about you. Don't worry about the It's almost like just put blinders up. Don't worry about them. And I helped a 17-year-old girl through six matches at the Australian Open, but more importantly, it validated, just like it validated for you. My, my At the time it was a theory, I'm like, it can't be all about me. It has to be about the opponent, but it validated for the rest of my coaching career that the opponent comes first. The opponent is the most important person on the tennis court. And it, is, it has been my beacon in the dark for, for 30 years. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Well, let me ask you this, Dan, because... You talk about your time coaching a woman. And on the women's tour, you get to go and have on-court coaching visits. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the retired players feel that it shouldn't happen mm-hmm. because your mind is a weapon. And if you got a bad serve, right, and a shitty forehand, but I mentally, I can tack, you know, I can game plan. I know the tactics. I can recognize patterns. You giving that player with a big serve and a big forehand, but no brain, you're giving you're giving them a weapon that they don't have themselves to compete against. Absolutely. What's your thought on that? Okay, so we get we have two balls in the air. We have two balls in the air. The first <laughs> ball is my heart has always said, let the two play, let the two gladiators go out there and let's watch. That's my heart, always. Um, I, I've always been um, against coaching on the court i i I, w- I would rather if i if i had my way i'd rather the two players do it now i have ne- i i don't think i've ever seen a professional match ever where the coach doesn't coach every match 
You know, I'm sitting with the Italians and the Italians running. I'm sitting, yeah. I'm sitting on center court at Wimbledon, you know, yelling stuff at Dustin Brown. I, Tony Nadal's four seats ab- uh, away from me, yelling in Spanish. Like, you know, every second word's different. I know he's giving game plans like crazy. Every person does it. So we have a problem and it's, you know, we try and sweep it under the carpet. There's only one answer. You, you are, we, we have to have coaching. Because that coach is not going to sit in the stands and go, if I can just tell my player to do one thing, it's worth $100,000 today for them. It's worth $40,000 today for me. Exactly. Um, It's going to change the course of of their life. If I can just say, hit every ball to the forehand. If I just yell out, hit every ball to the forehand. So we must, we, we have a completely broken system. Unless I'm out there, unless you kick the coach out of the stadium, but then if I'm the coach, I'm on a cell phone calling my buddy in the third row and my buddy's screaming <laughs> to my player and it's still getting in there. So we must legalize coaching. We must because we, we, we hide it under the carpet and, and we as coaches are seen as dirty. We're seen as, you know, we, we can't do it, but there's just no other way around it. So we must be able to find the right you know, in, in Davis Cup, the coach sits and no one has a problem with it. It's almost like coaches on the court. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. No, every changeover, just sit right there. Everyone. So, you know, if it works there, maybe we trial that at a grand slam. Um, you know, maybe the coach, you know, come on, you would know better than I at the US Open recently. I mean, if the player's on your side of the court, I think you can coach. Is that correct? No. So, uh, at the Grand Slams, no. Still no coaching. Uh, I think they tried it in qualifying. Qualifying. Qualifying they did. Qualifying right. tried in qualifying. Good point. But to your point, though, if you win the U.S. Open, you win four million bucks. Yeah, right? you do. And I win X as well. Legal or not, we both have something to win. The game, right? Big time. And what's amazing is you talked about, you know, being at Wimbledon and everybody's screaming, the player can lock in Absolutely. on your voice with 18, 19,000 people screaming. Yeah. They can still lock in on your voice and know where to find it. And I think that's the point is that it is happening. No matter which stadium it is, like literally they can tap into your voice because they hear it so much. Um, and it does have the ability to change the course of history. Here's what I'm, one point that I make about the women's game. You think about the girls that have won slams, young girls, right? Listen, on the men's side, the big three are just dominating. You know, it's very and team are stepping up. But for the most part, the big ones are dominating. They got the experience, they got the weapons, they got the teams, they got the stats, they got everything. But on the women's side, what I'm seeing is what my hypothesis is that one of the reasons we see so many young girls winning like in Osaka, like in Andrescu, is because earlier that year, they won titles where they could get coaching. Mm, great they point. won a Miami, they won an Indian Wells, where in the fire, mm-hmm. they had a little bit of mm-hmm. back and forth uh, experience making a mid-match adjustment, mm-hmm. having like an aha moment, a thank you, right? And if they don't have that help mm-hmm. to win the 1,000, Mm-hmm. They don't have the confidence nor the momentum mm-hmm. to win the slam. Same thing with Ash Barty. Mm-hmm. Right? Did she win Miami? Yeah. And then won French Open? 
Yeah. If you don't win Miami, you don't win French Open. Exactly. If Osaka doesn't win Indian Wells, she doesn't win U.S. Open. Right. If Andrescu, it doesn't happen. Right? Stepping stone victories, stepping stone tournaments. So I think that learning, you know, that coaching on court could be a teaching tool, but it also helped them win those 1,000s, which gave them the confidence, the money, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the experience to go on and win those slams. So without mm-hmm. the Oracle coach on the women's side, I don't think we see those three in particular, mm-hmm. right? Because they won a slam in the same year they won a 1,000. Right, they won 1,000 first. Yeah. So that's just sort of my thought about how, you know, just a little bit of help from somebody that you're paying to help you. Uh, yeah. Help change the course, of, you know, it's not like you're like, it's not your job. I mean, my job is to help you win tennis matches, right? Not to make you feel good. So, yeah. you know, let me do my job kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I think you got to have coaching. I do think in the slams, you know, my views might, it may change because when you win a grand slam, you're probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. And perhaps you could argue that that's a place for the most complete players mm-hmm. in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Not the ones that had a little bit of crutch or maybe didn't have it mentally and had a little bit of help. So th- I, I, I'm open to somebody convincing me that it shouldn't be in the slams because of the historical, you know, the 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 the, the history making aspect of that. Mm-hmm. What do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the 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 thing is, just in general, with the work that I do, um, I I can make the most impact in a slam, even even be not not on court. Um, the slams have the most amount of access to the video replays. Um, They have the most amount of access to the data. You know, typically I've got a a media credential as well as a a, a player credential. And, you know, when when I first started working with Novak and he, you know, he he, he got on a roll, um, you know, got over the injuries and got fit again. And, um, you know, 2018, uh, winning Wimbledon, you know, he won Wimbledon. It, it, you know, and I, I've just got, I, I've got, I, I know everything that's going to happen. If you get, because once you get past the first round, we've got video and there's video, it's very important to have video and on how the player's doing yesterday, as well as, oh, I played this, oh, you know, we, you know, for the US Open final um, against El Potro in 2018, we took, basically, I take about 80% of the game plan from one match and against Nishikori, we used the round before, but against Del Potro in the final, we went back to Indian Wells where Novak had played him so we could see, see Novak against Del Potro on the court in a real competitive hard court match. Um, but in general, in slams, you know, I, I know what these players are doing. I can go through and, and look what's going on. So, you know, Novak, w- w- once he got healthy, won three slams in a row, you know, one Wimbledon, one US, one Australian, like, how can he lose really? How can he lose when we know every single detail, mm-hmm. you know, about the opponents and yep. how do you lose? Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I remember, so I, Sloan is famous for like putting sleeping videos of me on her Instagram. And they, you know, they used to call me the sleepy coach and Andy Murray was like, come out. I mean, either her conversation is boring or you just need to get some sleep, you know? And the truth of the matter is 
I would be up all night. You know, look, I didn't play professional tennis, right? I kind of like you were, you know, coaching lower level players, juniors, et cetera. And I knew that this was a good opportunity, right? For me to help a player and, you know, sort of create a legacy for myself as well. And I would stay up all night. So for one match, I would probably watch six or seven hours of video plus the SAP stats, right? And all the other stuff. What is your preparation like? You know, what, what, when did you do your work, right? Because the night before a match, I would go over the complete game plan with my player. And then moments before, I would just pick three things, right? Depending on their temperament. If they were like, you know, shitting themselves, if they were super nervous, right? Or if they didn't want to be bothered, you know, you pick the mo three most important things. But the night before, you're doing like, you know, the entire game plan from start to finish. What if she does this? At yeah. this point in the match, she always does this. And then you simplify it. Tell me how you work and the timing of, you know, you saying what you say. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, let's say um, Jan Leonard Struff, you know, he had some good wins last year at the Cincinnati US Open event. Um, beat Goffin, um, beat Demonor, beat Shapovalov. Um, so as soon as I know, as soon as I know who he plays, um, I'm going to source video. And I've teamed up with, uh, when I was working with Novak, I did literally everything on my own. And a lot of times it was about a seven hour process from start to finish, from when I, I'm starting, okay, I'm ready to present this to you. Um, I've sped that up now. Um, I, I've, uh, I, I've teamed up with Warren Pretorius at Tennis Analytics. Well, um, I, I've developed my own tagging panel. So I'm like, Warren, I need this match tagged. It's done in my panel. I have a 10 page, what I call a match intelligence report um, that I'm just very heavy on everything that happens in the first four shots. So the, the, the serve, I have eight locations in the boxes. There's the ABCD at the back of the court. So the serve, the return, the serve plus one, and the return plus one. Yep. I, I know everything. So when I deliver this information to Jan, you know, the, let's say the information about Demonor, he is going to get, I try to keep them between two and three minutes. So he's going to get, um, and if he hasn't played um, Alex before, he's going to, I'm going to find as recent as I can, a hard, a same surface as possible and the same type of opponent as possible. Um, so I, I'm going to have a match tagged and I'm not showing him all the great points that Alex plays because you got to pick your poison. You know, there's, there, we're in a time crunch. You got to say, what, how do I help? So I'm going to make a highlight video. I make two. This is Alex serving and losing points that you can repeat. This is where the return must go. A, B, C, D, there's a spot. There's a very specific spot against Alex Demonor. There's a very specific spot, A, B, C, D versus different than Dennis Shapovalov. So Jan's gonna sit down and watch a two minute video, two to three minute video of Alex serving and Dennis serving and Goffin serving and losing the point. And underneath at the bottom, I've written in, uh, I use Darfish, I, I write underneath every video after every point, what matters. So return to B, attack A, uh, two one pattern. And so, and then I, I group them together. So he's gonna say, so let's say Demon All is in B, he's weak in B. So um, Jan's gonna see seven, 
times, Alex serves, the ball comes back to D in the previous match and he misses it. And it's one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's just the same message. Attack, uh, return to position B, return to position B, return to position B. And so once he sees something three to four times, he's like, that's a pattern that I can reproduce. I do the exact same thing from a returning standpoint. So a, a three-minute video of here's Alex losing points serving. Here's a three-minute video. Here's Alex losing points returning. I'm going to have the eight serve locations uh, where Alex likes to serve, um, first and second serve. Um, I'm going to have certainly on break points. Uh, uh, the ATP has a serve tracker, so I can get a, an entire year of data out of there. And some guys are smart about it, and some guys just go, this is what I do. I don't care who's over there. I'm just going to do the same thing. And we just go, our, our player just sits there and goes, I, it's gonna, I know where it's going. Right. I studied you. Right. So um, so you get your player to lock in, and, and then I, I'm going to I make a summary at the start. So, um, you know, I made – actually, I'm just going to rub, rub the name out here today. I, I've got one to show you. I'm just going to get rid of the name. <laughs> this is one I just did earlier. So I do three things in, in each spot. Um, so we see there uh, – there we go. So yeah. I've got serving, one, two, three, returning, one, two, three, Rowing one, two, three, and focus one, two, three. Yeah. So this is a game plan that I did for a player on Zoom tonight um, for, for a, a match in Concord at the 125. So, you know, it's just, just simple, yeah. simple stuff. And, yeah. and, and we watched the video. We went, you know, I, I spent an hour here. We watched the video. We know it was like we know exactly where to do all the things. This is the uh, analysis. I sent it through on WhatsApp. She watches, just like you say. You pick the one or two things that are really important right before you go on, and away you go. So you say a tag in a match, and you know we got a lot of listeners that um, you know don't know what that means. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to just explain to uh, you know club players and juniors what it means to tag a match. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tennis.com podcast with our guest, Craig O'Shaughnessy, uh, one of the world's best tennis statisticians, um, a man after my own heart. Um, so, Craig, you talked about in our last segment, tagging a match. Explain to those at home what you mean by tag, because there's a lot of businesses like I, I have a guy, uh, Chris Tons, that tags matches for me, shoots them over to me, then I dissect them. You know, that's like the hard grunt work that you and I don't have time to do, right? So it's what you're doing with tagging the match is. Yeah, we, we did at one stage, but but now we've figured out a way to, to, to remove, <laughs> ourselves, to do it. Yeah, <laughs> remove ourselves from that labor. Um, tagging a match is, uh, I use Dartfish. So in 2005, Dartfish came out with, with the match tagging element. So essentially three quarters of your computer screen is the video of the match. Over on the side, you can customize buttons and the buttons have different functionality. So first one, right before the point starts, the player bounces the ball and gets ready. I'm gonna hit a button that says start. So that is that tells 
you know, the, um, the computers, like, we want to capture the video starting at this moment. We watch it. So if the serve goes wide, we've got a button, wide serve. Um, it comes back as a, and it's a forehand return. We've got a forehand re return and a backhand return button. So we hit the forehand return button. Um, it's an eight-shot rally. So we go down, we click the eight-shot rally. It was a forehand error. We click forehand error at the end, and then we click end, which tells the tag, the tag is now done. So that enables us to not watch a match chrono chronologically, which is what we've always had to do. Right. Um, sometimes it serves its purpose really well, but it's, a, it's not the most effective way to analyze a match. So if after the match is tagged, you, you can say, you, you, you type in a query or you have your favorite set up and you go, I only want to see the list of forehand errors. So you, you click the, the search button and there's, there's 10 of them. There's right. 10 forehand errors your player made. So you watch one after the other. And the beauty of this, when you've never done it before, you're sitting there, it's like, oh, 10, 10 forehand errors. You watch them, eight of them, eight of the 10 always are the exact same stinking error again. From the same again. spot in the court. From the same spot in the court. With the same height of the ball. And it's the same error out the side. So when I was, before people started tagging matches, right? And before we sort of had the resources to pay for that. In my kitchen, I have three computer screens side by side and three Mac minis. And what I would do is, and still do this to this day, um, it's opposite my sink. So if I'm cooking or if I'm washing dishes or feeding my kids, I've got three different YouTubes or matches from, you know, WTA TV, right? Playing for a player that I'm starting to get to know. And what really helped me early on is I wasn't actually paying to paying attention to the matches, not sitting there staring at the screen. Mm -hmm. I was just living my life, feeding my family, hanging out, whatever. And I started to see the same forehand error on all three screens, different surfaces, different opponents from the same player. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of how, you know, for me, when I didn't really, you know, I didn't watch a lot of women's tennis pre-2015, mm -hmm. but that's how I quickly got up to speed mm -hmm. by putting the same player on all three screens in Amazing. three matches. Yeah. I, I, I've, and I've never done that in my life. And I can see instantly if I, I'm putting myself in your shoes and, and I'm seeing it exactly how you're describing it. And it's like people, so when we have people over dinner, like, why do you got three computer screens? They don't need this, not even TV. I'm like, oh, it's for my work. Um, but that was like back in the day before we had people to tag matches, before we had, you know, all the analytics companies, SAP data, all that other kind of stuff. So to that point, um, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. One of my feelings is that this will always be a game of errors, but not necessarily unforced errors. It's a game of forced errors. And a lot of people, especially at, you know, if you're top 25 in the world and most, most of the people you work with are 25 trying to become five, right? Or somewhere top 10. No one is really just flat out missing, mm -hmm. right? They're always being forced to miss. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when I look at certain people who have big forehands, like, yeah, they have a big forehand from this spot. Mm -hmm. But the natural forehand, they miss all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're in love with their forehand 
and they really want to hit a forehand, give it to them. If you want a forehand that bad, here, I'm going to give you a forehand. Take it over there, though, right? I'm not going to give you the inside out of the inside in what you want. So when I watch how Novak played Rafa, I saw him play to the forehand. Like, oh, you want a forehand, Rafa? Let me just give you one, right? And I saw that be so effective, and people commented on it and criticized it. And I actually feel the same way. Oh, you want a forehand? I'm not going to name anybody's names. You want a forehand? Yeah, all right. Take it from over there. I give you one from over there, right? And they just miss it and miss it and miss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me where that came from, where that strategy came from. Early on, I, I have a journalism degree. When, when I went right out of high school, I worked for a year and a half for a newspaper, and then I went to college and I studied journalism. And um, the, the reason I bring that up is I started writing a little bit for the New York Times, and and then quite a lot for the ATP. And the ATP said, Craig, we want you to cover the Masters finals, the Grand Slam finals, um, and, and then, you know, I match a day at the, the World Tour finals. So I started really studying the guys that were going deep in those finals, which is obviously Rafa, which is obviously Novak and, and, and Roger. So I'm, I'm tagging so many of their matches and I'm watching and I've got all this data and I'm looking at Rafa. And one of the things that stood out so much early on um, you know, it's like, you know, you sit there and watch it. It's the same as, as you described before. Um, you know, I'm just, I've got one screen watching it three times longer instead of you're doing it smart and then get doing three screens at once. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm noticing this serve and a forehand, serve and a forehand and serve and a forehand. So I start tagging it. I make a button. I, I've got a customize. How many times? And, and Ramp is hitting the serve plus one forehand you know, sometimes 80 to 90% of the time. And guys are trying to get it to his backhand, but Rafa, so I go slow motion and he's serving it and he's already there. Mm-hmm. The guy has, he's already running. They're hitting it to the backhand and he's already, he's already over there. Right. <laughs> and then every now and then I'm like, well, it just doesn't work. You can't get it there quick enough. But, but every now and then somebody go over there and, I'm, and they get him and they get him and they get him. And so I looked at that and I'm like, that's how you play him. That's how you're playing. And so I'd look in these big finals, you know, and, and I think it was 2011, 2011 into 2012, you know, but basically in 2010, the rivalry between Novak and Rafa, um, Rafa owned, Rafa was way ahead up to 2010. He was way ahead in the rivalry. Right. In 2011, Novak, I think wins seven straight and they're all finals. They're all finals. They, they span 2011 into 2012. And, and this is the period where Rafa's sitting like this at a press conference and says, nothing I do hurts him anymore. Nothing I do. Well, what happened was the 2010 version of Novak was, and, and I wrote it, you know, in 2010, I'm writing this analysis. Uh, it's essentially, Rafa says, I've got the world's best forehand. Novak, you've got the world's best backhand, but the world's best forehand is four aces and the world's best backhand is four kings. So I win. It's still good, but I win. And so in 2011, you know, Novak, whatever he does, basically figures out if I hit my back, you know, he's trying to elevate it and get it up high and he's trying to push me back. So if I stay up in the court and take it earlier, I've got a short backswing, it works. And if I go down the line and make him hit a backhand, it's all fine. So what happened in 2011 was Rafa kept playing the 2010 version of Novak which no 
longer existed. And because he didn't, wasn't doing analytics and studying and, and, and had all this note, for a year and a half, he played a person that simply didn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. The ghost had left the building mm-hmm. and he didn't change until he finally beat him. Uh, he finally beat him in, in Monte Carlo. And in that Monte Carlo final, and again, Novak's got the world's best backhand return. Rafa did not, and, and, and Rafa loves to serve out wide, as we know in the ad and down the tee and juice. He didn't hit, uh, Rafa did not hit one first serve return as a, as a backhand, excuse me. Okay. Novak did not hit one first serve as a backhand. So he finally adapted, but it took him a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So that's a long-winded way to come back and answer your story. Um, but but I knew it worked. I knew I knew attacking Rafa wide. Um, you know, fast forward to 2015, and Dustin Brown, um, you know, is is a good friend of mine. He's like Craig. I you know, good to see you again. I just won my first round. Can you help me against Rafa? And I sit down with a video, and I'm like, Dustin, this is what you must do. And in the juice court, Dustin already stand over towards the middle and, and the ball's going to come right here and you're going to go straight down the line. And Rafa's going to serve and go this way and you're just going to kill him there, at, at, which is position D, out wide to D. So, you know, that, that, that whole win was predicated on attacking Rafa's forehand. The 2019 Australian Open final, when Novak went right through Rafa, was predicated on attacking the daylights out of Rafa's forehand, out wide, do his forehand. So it's exactly what you said. Rafa, you want a forehand? Perfect. Get one over there. I'm you don't it get there. it over there. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, 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 you're speaking my language. Absolutely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So when I look at, you know, you spoke about the one to four, right? You know, as you know, we're looking at the one to four shots, the five to eight, you know, nine to 12, uh, which not a lot of people play at, right? And some people like Kerber or Halep have a clear advantage nine to 12. So in the one to four, I could see how men's tennis is just sort of lights out. But when you look on the women's game, um, yeah, you get Naomi that plays the one to four, Pliskova, um, but you look at the people who have won, like Halep, like a Wozniacki, like even a Sloan. There are there may be controlling the point in the one to four, getting control of it, but they're really winning the point in the five to eight, right? So how do you see the difference? Because none of those three players that I talked about, who right. you know Wozniacki won a slam, Halep's won a couple, Kerber. Yeah won a couple none of those players are players that i would say live in the one to four exactly i couldn't agree more couldn't agree more um, so, but it's important that they control the first third of the point yes yes so what so, do you how do you translate that yeah so there's layers to this there's layers and and it, it's it's you know a lot of people when i first came out with this they're like oh i've got to hit winners and i've got to hit wow. winners in one three. and you know it's probably my fault for not explaining it but again it's new to me as well and, and over, you know, in 2015 at the Australian Open is when I first figured it out. Um, and I've got a lot better at, at teaching it. So essentially, 
you know, even in, in the 2015 Australian, no, excuse me, 2015 US Open, the, the ladies that won, uh, I, I went through the entire tournament. I said, everyone that won their match versus everyone that lost their match. Um, for, for the ladies, it was, it was still, for the men, it was like 91%. If you win zero through four, you win the match, 91%. The ladies were still in the high 80s, I think 86. Mm -hmm. But in, 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 uh, in 2016 at the US Open, every single woman that won their match correspondingly won nine plus percent of the time a losing record a losing record of long rallies so you've got this which i'm glad you you point out the mid-length of five through eight so what's happening here is you've got two battles in zero through four and essentially a lot of what you want to do is survive and the players that you're talking about are good survivors of zero through four mm -hmm. the first serve you're trying to end it Mm -hmm. The second serve, you know, and, and this and, and here's a little side story. I, I, I worked with Alexi Popperin in 2019 at the Australian Open, won, wins three rounds, makes the third round, loses to Medvedev. Um, beat Kukushkin, beat um, the young Spanish guy. His name escapes me for a second. Um, but, but anyway, wins three rounds. So I put it all together. And so I'm making these videos for Alexi. And, and Alexi, again, is a big guy and he's a zero through four guy. But I make the videos, Alexi, here's all your best first serve points. And so I put them together and, and I'm looking at it and, and I look at the video and it's like, it's, and, and I didn't even put aces in there. I didn't put aces, but I put return errors. Mm -hmm. I put the, the five minute video is full of serve plus one forehands, and it's full of approaching and three shot rallies. So when you hit a first serve, you accumulate three shot rallies, you accumulate approaching, you accumulate serve plus one forehands. Mm -hmm. Doesn't happen anywhere else. Mm -hmm. When I looked at these second serves, all I wanted is it's a great defense, great, especially backhand, great backhand defense on your serve plus one and not making a double fault. So it's much more defensive in nature. You're surviving. If you can win 50%, even in the men's game on the second serve, it's fine. So the second serve points one was a lot of defense, a lot of blocking, a lot of staying alive. His first serve return points were blocking and then a solid backhand cross court. And he's alive. Uh -huh. His second serve return points were aggressive middle, aggressive middle, step in and attack. So each of the four videos was insanely different. Mm -hmm. So in the first four shots, I want to I want to force an error from you. Of I want to I want to first serve return error. I want to stay alive and, and reach five through eight on my second serve. On my first serve return, I want to stay alive and reach five through eight. And on my second serve return, I'm I'm trying to force you into a serve plus one error. Mm -hmm. So still, even though we've got a Wozniacki, which is Ryan Kerber, they still obey the laws of. The number one rally length in tennis is even for those ladies is still a one shot rally. Mm -hmm. It's still a one shot rally. They still play more zero through four than anyone else. Mm -hmm. But they, 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 you know, Rafa. When you look at zero through four, five through eight, and nine plus, you say which player rises to the top of the three, and it's Rafa in five through eight, because he's got a plan. It's it's a three shot plan. Yeah. I'm going to get you here. I'm going to get you there, and then I finish you there. And that's what those girls that you talked about do so well. They're, they're, they're great in five through eight. 
what naturally happens in our sport in, in nine plus is the longer a rally goes, naturally, the more even it becomes. Come on, if you and I are in a 16 shot rally, it's it, it, it's crazy. I've hit eight in a row, yeah. you've hit eight in a row. Who's going to win it? Who knows? Yeah, 50-50. Who knows? That cord, mentally I'm done with the rally. I'm ready to start over. You can have it, right? When, when Novak won the 2018 US Open, um, he was plus, we look, we look at all the points he won in zero through four and all the points he lost. He's like a plus 130 in, in zero through four. He's minus three mm-hmm. in nine plus. And it was a bit of a weird year. He hasn't been minus in other years. And I am picking something that suits my narrative the best. <laughs> I am. I'm, yeah. I'm not lying. But he was still negative in long rallies and still won the US Open. So, yes, you know, the beauty of our game is the different playing styles. The beauty of our game is the and different playing styles. I think that's, that's the key. If you don't have a humongous weapon, yes, it is a mistake to try to hit a first ball winner. Yes. Right? Because yes. it's not – so you do want to survive the one to four, get control of the point to set them up, right? Because really one to four means I hit two, you hit two, right? Now we're out that's of that right. one, right? Yeah. Uh, now we're in the five through eight, right? And so that's why – and i tell you this. I've received so many emails from your articles from tennis parents of kids that I'm coaching, right? Yeah. Uh, and pros that I'm coaching. And I've got a master's in finance, right? And so for me, my process always starts with the numbers, the percentages, yeah. and then I go to the video. I don't but, go to the video first. By the way, if I may interject, what an amazing thing to have for tennis. Yeah. A master's in finance. That 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 just goes like that with our sport. That, that's, I love that. So I would always have to explain, Craig is right, but here's how that applies to you. Yeah, right. what a good it's way not, to put it. It's not like you're not, you don't have 117 like Plisco, you know, you ain't serving plus one like Osaka. He's right, but here's how you fit that mm-hmm. into your thinking. And it's I your version. Your, and that's how I found, I found it so hard with all the great tennis minds in Czech, in France, in Aussie, and all the flow of information now mm-hmm. to try to keep the player on track. And mm-hmm. to be crystal clear, because all theories are right mm-hmm. if applied properly, mm-hmm. right? And for mm-hmm. me, most recently, that has been a struggle of just trying to clarify for them what you mean or what other people mean by it. Not mm-hmm. like, yeah, you got to win the point one to four. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to rush, rush, rush mm-hmm. and play out of character, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're not, yeah, not it doesn't fit your character, then it doesn't work. Yeah. So I know I got, I know I've been, you've been very generous with your time. I got one more question. So when I first got into coaching, there was a wise man named Willis Thomas. He walks up to me and he says, yeah, you think you're a coach now. You're not a real coach till you get fired. <laughs> I was hired and fired five times by the same player. So, you know, especially in the women's game, the coach gets all the blame. Mm-hmm. regardless of what happens, who did what, who didn't do their part, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, it's the coach's fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, really in, in men's tennis as well, right? It's mm-hmm. They need to change or add something to their team. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, you not being the coach, right? You being sort of the statistician, mm-hmm. how do you and Novak decide to split up, right? Because most of the pressure is on the coach. 
Yeah. How does that sort of change? It was real. It, that was a real simple one. Um, Goran came on the team, which I thought was a great addition. Um, and, you know, it, the first time was at Wimbledon, maybe 20, 2019, maybe. And, and um, you know, the, the first thing, when we, if we back back to December 2017, I fly to Monte Carlo to help Novak uh, do a, a preseason camp. So Novak, remember in 2017, he plays half the year, then he pulls out at Wimbledon against Burditch with the elbow injury. Yeah. So he doesn't play the second half of 2017. So um, then, then he fires Marion and he fires the team. Like you know, they all go. And I'm like, well, you know, where's where's you know, I haven't got an email yet. And then he was going to play it. This was like in 2017. He's going to play a tournament, and and at some sense, I'm like, I don't know if I should send a game play. Like every you know, basically, yeah. he's cleared the team. I'm like, I don't know. So I just send it through anyway. I'm like, I'll just send it through. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, thanks for that. I was perfect. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm still on the team. Right. Um, but so then we go, if you go to the end of the year, he he hires um, Radek Ste Stepanik and Andre Agassi. And, and so we do the training camp. This is Novak's first time on the court. And, and you know, one of the things that we've always got a sense, you know, it, it, a, a team is great, but we've always got a sense. Like what, yeah. what's really happening here? Um, something's happening. There's something fishy. Something's happening. You know, I'm, you know what's that? What's over my back? Um, so, I always had a feel, right from the start. You know, Andre's a guy. Uh, you know, right from the start. You know, and I, I told him so. Like, I, of all this studying I've done, you know, early on. You know, let, let's say we're in two thousand or two thousand five or two thousand ten. I'm like the three greatest minds that I've studied. I've sat and studied uh, Agassi, Nadal, Rios. Those three, ten, those three tennis minds are out of control. And yeah. I told Andre this. Um, and and I, I had an early presentation and I showed, I showed Andre that it was an honor to show him this. But, uh, you know, early on, first of all, you go, you know, there's an old saying, too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and I look Always around, a problem. Always a around. problem. So Novak's hitting and the agent is out there and the social media director's out there. Um, and Andre's out there, and Craig's out there, and Roddick's out there, and I'm like, we got a lot of cooks in the kitchen here. We got a lot of cooks, and um, you know, it, it's it, and so my role was, um, you know, to deliver the game plans and everything, and you know, you just get a feel. I, I had a feel early on. I'm like, I don't see this lasting, whether it's them or whether it's me. I don't know. But right. there's too many cooks in this kitchen. That 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 I do know. Mm. That I do know. Yeah. So you know they they split up. Um, Novak split up with them at Indian Wells, and those two guys went on their merry way. And so then for a while it was just Marion and I. And Marion and I nailed it. You know we knew our roles. Um, you know Marion's always with him. He's always traveling. He's always on the practice court. I'm always studying opponents. I I, I deliver the game plan. I'm the one that talks first. Then. You know, Marion was had a great idea. It's like, Craig, you 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 show Novak what you want to show him on your computer. Then you be quiet and you let Novak talk. That actually, before that, then you be quiet and you let Novak absorb. And then we both be quiet, and then then Novak says something. And then when Novak says something, that's my time to ch chime in, and 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 look at it and cement it and and support it. And Craig, you know, if you need anything there. Fine, or then go to the next thing you want to tell him. And I thought that was brilliant from Marion. 
absolutely brilliant. And when Goran came on, um, again, I'm like, too many cooks in the kitchen. Something's going to happen here. And then, you know, I, Goran's, uh, the, the, one of the things that happened was we were sitting, I think, at the US Open. And um, we, we were studying a, a player and I'd done, you know, I'd done seven hours of work and I'm sitting there proud of my videos and here's the, the stats. And, you know, I've already had, you know, two years with Marion and Marion's locked in. I'm locked in and, and Goran's kind of looking around. And I could just sense, you know, he's, he's, Goran's not locked in here. And so I said to Goran, Goran, is there anything, you know, you want to see? And he goes, yeah, show me three points. Show me any three points you want and I'll tell you how to beat the guy. And I'm like, that we got ourselves, we got ourselves a problem. So in, in some sense, Goran's right. Sometimes you can go out and go, you know, you see a miss four hours. Well, I know we can't make that. So there was a there was a layer that I'm like, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but there's also a layer that 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 you need more. Um, so at that level, and respect yeah. the opponent. Respect the opponent. So at the end of the year, um, I, I was contacted by the agent. Said, Craig, you've been amazing, a phenomenal three years, but we've decided to, to to move in a direction where Goran's taking over as the you know as the director and he doesn't like this kind of stuff and we, we, he doesn't want it anymore and i'm like thank you very much for your time i've learned so much i wish you guys nothing but the best to, to all of you to Goran as well and um that's why that's why you know if, if you're running the team you get to demand who's on the team and it, you know it's not about friendship it's about these things working and and goran's done an outstanding job since you know, mm -hmm. Novak absorbs analytics well, but he, whatever's Goran and Marin are doing with him, he, he does an outstanding job there too. So that's that's just how our profession works and there's no hard feelings. It's kind of like being married, right? Your needs change over time. You know what I mean? So, but, but one thing that will never change, uh, and I said this in 2017, right? Um, when you find a recipe, and somebody contributes one thing mm -hmm. and you can't quite put your finger on what it is, but whatever it is, it worked well. Mm -hmm. uh, then you keep it going because this is an individual sport, but it will always be a team game, mm -hmm. right? Especially at this level. So mm -hmm. many moving parts, so many things to manage. You can't do it alone. And it's not even a one person job, right? So I want to credit uh, you and congratulate you on being a part of, you know, what was the best team during the time you were part of, uh, that you were part of it. And uh, hey, I appreciate you coming on. I've always admired your work. I've always had to read your work because it would get forwarded to me. And I, <laughs> and I would have to synthesize it and be like, he's right, <laughs> but be careful. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, man, a, a real fan of your work, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, Kamal, exactly the same. You've had amazing success and um, it's great to get to know you. It, it's one of those things that, you know, we're on a merry-go-round at, at these events and we're always so busy and, um, you know, we've, we've never really had time to sit down and, and, um, and chat like this. So it's been an absolute pleasure and, and, and to learn about, you know, how important the analytics were to your success as a coach. And, and uh, you know, I, I really do like the, the finance side because that, that, that gives you a deep appreciation for the numbers and, and the percentages that, you know, that's the language of winning, no matter if it's in tennis or whatever sport, that's the language. And my journalism degree helps me to, you know, hopefully relate that. And, and um, you know, I, I wish I was better on that finance side myself, but um, 
I, I found a way to make it work. So thank you very much for having me on. It was an absolute honor and, and um, looking forward to catching up in person whenever we're able to do that again. Yeah. Well, this was the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we have just had the pleasure of picking the brain, which not many people do unless they write a big check, of Craig O'Shaughnessy. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.